Welcome back to the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated home for all things Crimson Tide. And I'm your host, Tyler Martin, joined by Bama Central contributor Kerry Clark. And we're going to talk UA hoops. We're going to touch on a little bit of football, um, just really everything about Alabama in the recent weeks. Um, and Kerry, this is the final podcast we're going to release before it's officially game week. Um, just thinking about that, I mean, fires me up that next Saturday, we're actually going to get Alabama football and, and it's, it's a whole day, right? Of SEC, uh, SEC games. It's going to be a lot of fun. And to me, I mean, I never, I didn't think we'd be here. Um, but we're just, you know, about seven days away now from Alabama, Missouri. Yeah, and I'm excited about that for another reason, Tyler, because uh, you were you were kind enough last week to let me promote the Friday Night Lights radio show. But uh, my same partner on that show, Jacob Harrison, and myself are going to be doing an Alabama postgame show uh, after Tyler Watts and Chris Stewart are done with their portion on the network. We're going to be doing one on Tide 100.9 for two hours every game, all 10 and hopefully 11 or 12, 13. But uh, that'll start uh, uh, roughly two hours after the Missouri game concludes on Tide 100.9 FM and the app. So uh, excited about uh, doing that as well. But, yeah, game week is almost here. Uh, it'll be Monday before you know it. Uh, we'll get our annual depth chart, although I believe we'll get it by email since there's no in-person Nick Saban press conferences this season. But uh, everybody always wants to see the depth chart. And, uh I'm looking forward to it myself because I want to see how the starting five on the offensive line shakes out. I think I know, but I want to see it in writing from Coach Saban. Yeah, that's uh, – by the way, on the radio show, that's going to be great. Um, and, again, that's tied 100.9. Um, you guys do a great job every Friday night. You guys will do another great job uh, on Friday night because it's released Friday morning. So, Friday, if you're listening you want some high school football scores – um, listen to Title 100.9 because there is one game I do want to touch on before we go back to Alabama, and that's Hewitt and Thompson. Uh, just an absolute, you know, colossal meeting between two 7A powers. And, you know, Alabama's interested, obviously, because Jeremiah Alexander, the 2022 commit from Thompson, and then Justice Finkley from Hewitt is also in the game, who's another 2022 kid. Um, and both of those guys could ultimately end up in the same recruiting class in Tuscaloosa, and that would be exciting for Alabama fans, no doubt about that. I, you know, that game's on ESPNU. Uh, I, I won't be at a high school game, so I might have to turn on a little bit and watch that. Um, but, yeah, that, that game right there, Carrie, I mean, that is, that's what Alabama high school football is all about right there. It is, and I was at that game last year. It was game 10, uh, and it was played out at Hewitt, and Thompson came in undefeated. And current Alabama possible starter, Malachi Moore, made a pick six late in the game to ice the upset. It was the only game uh, that Thompson lost all season last year. And, uh, and that game allowed me, because Mark Freeman of Thompson and Josh Floyd of Hewitt Trustful have always been both so great to me about telling me who the prospects are on their teams. So that allowed me uh, last November to be um, among the first people to write about Jeremiah Alexander. Uh, his teammate, Tony Mitchell, uh, and also Justice Finkley. And, uh, th I mean, there's so many other th – this is a game that's laden with prospects, and most of them are juniors or less. Now, I I'm intrigued by Connor Harrell, the, the uh, senior quarterback at Thompson. He's going to end up going somewhere. I noticed he got a Tennessee offer earlier in the week. Uh, but you're exactly right, Tyler. Uh, this game is what Alabama high school football is all about, two-class programs. Uh, two teams that are going to be poised 
to make deep playoff runs and two teams that I will guarantee you, Tyler Martin, are going to meet again later in the postseason. This regular season will be great, but I, I just feel it in my bones that they're going to meet in the playoffs and probably third or fourth round. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you right there. And, too, like I've seen both of these teams live and in person this season now. And Hewitt, you know, it was a big – when I saw them, it was week one against Pinson, and Hewitt ran over him, right? Like, Harmonte Goodwin was a beast. He was healthy. You know, he got 20-plus carries, you know, had about 200 yards, had a couple of scores. And then I see Thompson against Spain Park, who, who Hewitt um, destroyed the week prior. And, and Thompson put off the – put on the, they put on the brakes a little bit in that contest. Um, but I, I'm more worried, to be honest with you, I mean, I think Jer- I mean, Jeremiah missed the entirety of the second half in that that Thompson Spain Park game. But if if he can, if he's effective, and w- you know, he just he's so athletic and so quick, he can hit at the point of attack and get around those tackles and force some negative plays. Um, but I, I I do think Hewitt is is primed for I guess if you want to call it an upset of the reigning champs. Um, I, I think Hewitt. I mean, offensive line they've got the the brother of Pierce Quick, Alabama offensive lineman Riley Quick. Um, so. Uh, you know, he's another name to watch. He's a 2022 kid who's waiting on that Alabama offer. It's it's not a matter of if, it's probably a matter of when for Riley there. And and then, you know, too, I mean, just I mentioned Justice Finkley. Can Thompson's offensive line hold up? And that's and like I said, that's going to be on ESPNU. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and Peter Woods, we should mention him, too. Another outstanding 2022 defensive end on uh, Thompson. And I want to thank you personally, Tyler, because you educated me about something position-wise that's going on with Jeremiah Alexander because the game I attended the opener, which was uh, against Oxford, uh, he played middle linebacker and you were able to let me know that he's now playing defensive end. So if you have Jeremiah Alexander on one end and and Peter Woods on the other, that's a stout defensive line. However, uh, the Thompson defense, here's a fun fact for you. I'm full of them, but the Thompson defense under Mark Freeman over the last four or five years has only averaged giving up less than 30 a game. And they're giving up a lot more points this year. And I realize that it's because offenses are more high-powered. But at the same time, uh, Josh Floyd at Hewitt Trustville runs the run and shoot. I mean, he's a Gus Malzahn disciple. So I'm going to have to agree with you. It it will not surprise me if Hewitt wins this football game because, uh, I mean, I know we don't know as much. You and I don't know as much about what's going on down south. But in this part of the state, north of Montgomery, these are the two best teams, and it's 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 going to be fun. I'm hoping the studio TV at Tide 100.9 gets ESPNU. I'm not positive, but I'm really hoping it does because uh, we want to be able to give updates on that from 6 to 9 uh, p.m. Central Time on our Friday Night Lights show this week. Yeah, and obviously, me and you aren't the only ones that are going to be watching that. Alabama, so many Division One coaching staffs are going to be all eyes on that game. Um, and it's just great that it's going to be a national spotlight. But, Kerry, moving on from that, let's hit on Alabama and the gridiron. Then we can spend the majority of our time on the on Alabama hoops. Um, football, right? You mentioned the depth chart. Um, and you mentioned offensive line. Uh, I, we had a story this morning on there. You know, Nick Saban was talking about how impressed he was with, you know, Emil Echior. And, um, and then he was talking also about, you know, just Landon Dickerson, too. And then he was also talking about the guard spot, right? He was talking about how – um, we've, they got, they've got so much depth inside out, and that's where they feel like they're their strongest. Even though you do have Alex Leatherwood at left tackle and Evan Neal at right, they feel like they're their best, you know, from the centers um, and out, right there, the two guard spots. I, I'm curious, Kerry, go ahead and give us your starting five right there in the trenches. And I have to say it's changed because I thought for weeks, we, or actually months, 
I thought Darian Dalcourt was going to claim the center job. And while I do think that he's one of the seven guys that Saban considers a starter, uh, I think the first five on the field against Missouri will be as follows. Left tackle, Alex Leatherwood. Left guard, Deontay Cornbread Brown. Center, Landon Dickerson. Right guard, Emil Ikior. And right tackle, Evan Neal. I, I, I guess Dalcourt is not quite ready to seize the reins at center. Uh, and so with that being said, I think what I just named are currently the best five offensive linemen. And that's always going to be the goal for Coach Flood and Coach Saban and Coach Sarkeesian is to get the best five. And I, I believe, based on what I've heard from summer camp, that what I just named are indeed the best five. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Chris Owens rotates in <clears throat> rotates in there as well because, um, you know, Nick Saban talked about it uh, on Tuesday night. He said, we've got seven guys who I consider starters, and you can only play five out there. Um, but, you know, I, I'm curious to see who that seventh guy is because I, I do believe Chris Owens is in that group as well. I think Chris is probably sixth, and seventh is either Dalcourt or Kendall Randolph. And the only reason I'm mentioning Kendall Randolph is that during the scrimmage, he was uh, taking some reps with the ones at left tackle. So that tells me that he – I know Chris Owens is the first guy off the bench, the swing guy, but they're, they're priming uh, Randolph, who played a lot of tight end last year, by the way, uh, to be a, a backup at left tackle uh, for Alex Leatherwood, who did miss some practice time. They never said why. I think he had a mild case of COVID, but, you know, they're never going to admit that. That's my theory, but I'm not alone in that. But anyway, he's back at practice now. And uh, I'm not sure if the seventh guy is, is Dalcourt or Randolph. I think it's Dalcourt. And I agree with you that the sixth man is Owens. He's the he's pretty much the backup at all five slots. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, you never know. Well, the good news is, is if they did test for positive, or excuse me, they did test positive for COVID and they recovered, and it you know appears that so many guys in college athletics they've been getting it and they've not been hospitalized. So um, thank the Lord there. But you know too that those guys don't have to get tested until 90 days from now, right? So well, you know, that's what I thought until Saban's press conference last night, where he said they're still testing the whole team every day of the week, which I was disappointed with that, but. It is what it is, man. They're being overly cautious. The, requ the requirement is 90 days, but Alabama is choosing to keep testing every player every day. Yeah, and, you know, if, if the immunities antibodies built up, which the experts have been telling us, you know, that hopefully they will test negative for those 90 days. And, yeah, you know, they're moving on to daily testing. And I think that's the right – I think that, you know, the right decision, too. The NFL is doing it, and the NFL has been destroying the coronavirus. I mean, they're just – you know, I mean, basically it's, it's so far the first week – and, you know, we're going to find out afterwards, you know, we're going to have these other round of tests going into week two, you know, uh, what's going to happen there. But, you know, so far a player hasn't had to sit out because of COVID, and that's exciting there. Um, and, Kerry, that's interesting, your thoughts on the offensive line. Kind of moving over to the hardwood now. We got some big news this week in terms of college basketball. The season has been pushed back. And who would have thought, right, who would have thought back in March when this whole COVID stuff started happening that, uh, you know, right when it shut down March Madness, who would have thought that it would have affected the 2020-2021 season? I sure as heck didn't. No, I didn't either, but you, you make a good point. You mentioned that it's been pushed back. But to me, November 25th is actually pretty good because there was a time 60 to 90 days from before now that I was hearing 
that they wouldn't start till January and it would be a conference schedule only, much like football. So now they're at, less, at least letting them play some preseason tournament type things, uh, which is interesting. I, the, the, the weirdest thing to me, Tyler, uh, the Maui Invitational that Alabama was going all set to go to Hawaii and play in is now going to be played in like North or South Dakota, one of those places. And it's going to be in a bubble environment. And they're also going to—they are going to allow Alabama to play in Atlanta against Clemson, but I understand that's going to be a bubble environment. A lot of uh, copying of the NBA model for the bubble is going to be done for college basketball, is my understanding. So, uh, and it's going to be very interesting to see uh, for Alabama's home games at Colton Coliseum. A, what amount of fans will be able to come? The theory is 20%, but we don't know yet. And B. You know, is is media capacity going to be at at fifty percent like it will probably be for football? Um, I'm afraid that courtside with Kerry Clark might be in jeopardy. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right about that. And two, I mean, you know, originally the the season opener was supposed to be uh, November 10th against Jacksonville State in Coleman Coliseum, and I still think you know, too, if Alabama does play a non-conference schedule, I do think they'll play Jacksonville State, right, because. They're so close to Tuscaloosa. I think Alabama, you know, and I believe, you know, Sanford uh, was a potential opponent as well because Alabama was still looking to fill one more opponent. And also, too, before the season came in, trying to make up for the, the Yale one that got canceled as well because of the Ivy League. And so I know Sanford was being discussed. But um, I, I do think Alabama is going to find a way, you know, to, ma- to play some of these in-state schools. They've been told they can play 13 games outside the conference. Uh, or, 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 I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. They've been told they, they, they must play a minimum of 13 games to, uh, to qualify for the NCAA tournament. But, so I, let me just clarify that. But, yeah, I think they're going to play some teams that are close around. Uh, I think it would be pretty cool if they could play uh, Alabama State simply because Mo Williams and Andrew Steele, both former Alabama players, are on that coaching staff. Yeah, that, that'd be a lot of fun. And I, we had a story on Mo about, I guess it was about a month and a half ago or so, um, had the chance to talk to him. And, you know, he mentioned, he was like, you know, if we get the chance to play Alabama, it's, you know, it's a big deal. And we're not going to take that lightly. And, you know, we're, they're going to try to win. They're going to give it their best shot. So it would be cool to see, you know, a program coached by Mo and led by Mo. What I'm interested in, Kerry, is now that they've reduced the number of um, of games in the regular season to uh, from 31 to 27, now each game becomes way more valuable in terms of seeding for the NCAA tournament. And what was your reaction, Kerry, when you heard that the ACC coaches were pushing for the all-inclusive, you know, uh, what is it, you know, 120 or maybe, I think maybe even more, I think it was all Division One programs, NCAA tournament? I thought it was kind of silly. Uh, I, I, I didn't ever think that anybody was going to agree to that because it would take too long. Um, I, I just, I just didn't think it was feasible from a travel standpoint, uh, from a financial standpoint for the smaller schools. Uh, I understand their line of thinking, but I just don't think it's practical. Uh, And I just, I honestly deep down never thought that was going to happen. Yeah, to, to me, it just it, it devalues every other game. It devalues a conference tournament. It, de- it devalues it all to me. And I, and to be honest with you, I think the coaches that, I mean, 
And not to say that the ACC coaches are uber – they're not uber competitive, but I, I think, you know, if you, if, and we're going to talk to Oates Friday, right, that like he's going to be on a media availability and involved with stories of Obama Central and, and whatnot. But I think if you were to ask him, like, you know, what do you think? I, I don't think he would be for that. I think there's a lot of coaches, especially in the SEC, that would not be for that. I totally agree. Uh, they're not interested in having their games mean less. Uh, and, and you can talk to coaches – in SEC basketball, football, wherever, and n- none of them like what I call the – this is just Kerry Clark talking – but none of them like what I call the participation trophy snowflake environment of sports. Uh, you you got to earn it, man. Uh, if you don't have a good enough season to make it and you get stuck on in the NIT, <clears throat> that's on you. Uh, I, I can assure you – that somebody is going to ask Nate Oates about that, and I can assure you he's going to say he wants it to stay status quo. Yeah, yeah, there's there's no way we're getting, you know, multiple hundreds of teams in there um, in the tournament. And, too, you know, with, with the regular season going down by a couple games, it might take away, you know, some some smaller school games, right, like for Alabama. Like maybe they were – I know they were reported to play um, maybe a Vermont, and Vermont's a good program, um, or like a UNC Asheville. But you take away those games, Kerry, that makes the non-conference games even much more, like, difficult, right? Like, they still got Houston on that schedule. Um, they've still got some other, you know, top-tier non-conference games. And so – and Nate Oates has been all about competition, right? Like, he's all been about playing your best basketball in March. And how you do that is you make it as difficult as you possibly can in, um, in, in you know, in, in November, in December, in those non-conference-type games. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, like – you know, just when you look at the layout of this roster and how it works out for Alabama, it's, I mean, they, they've got a great advantage for a season like this, right? Like they're going to have depth, barring no injuries, because I, I think, I think they kind of, you know, got that, got the bug out of them last year, you know, with Rojas and Jawan Gary, but they've got the depth and then the recruiting class too coming in. Um, they're going to be at an advantage to compete with, a, you know, teams at a very, very, very high level. Uh, what's kind of your early projection maybe on like a rotation? That's a great transition because I've been wanting to discuss that, uh, and the podcast is a good place to do it. Let me preface what I'm going to say about the rotation with this. Uh, everybody knows I'm the old man on the Alabama Central staff. That's fine. But I've been following Alabama basketball since the mid-'70s, since Saturday afternoons with Joe Dean and Tom Hammonds and string music and all that. Listen, I can tell you unequivocally, Alabama has never had 13 people on scholarship with the amount of talent this team has. There's been some years they may have had eight or nine, but they've never been this good, one to 13, in the history of Alabama basketball. And I followed it for 40-something years. I, I'm, I'm stating facts here. It's really not even an opinion. Uh, they, they had a great team in 76 that would have made the Final Four if they'd not been – Messed over on a call against Indiana, a, a phantom block charge call. Uh, and if they had seeded the tournament back then the way we see it now, they'd have had a good enough seed to get to the final four. That team was great. A lot of guys went to the pros off of it. The 87, Mark Godfrey, Jim Farmer, Derek McKee team was great. But they they had like seven or eight guys. They didn't have 13. Uh, I, I don't even know if Alabama has 13 this year that can play in every game. Uh, Oates doesn't tend to do that. But talent-wise – and, and some of that's potential, and some of it's polished. So now let me go straight from that into my projected playing rotation. 
and, and I don't think I don't think you're going to agree with all of this. Just like we had some friendly disagreements when we did our mock Alabama all-time draft for basketball. But I'm going to tell you what I think it's going to be when the season starts. And I realize it could change when they get in the SEC games. But, Tyler, I think when they play the opening game of the season, whoever, wherever that is, uh, I think the the point guard is going to be Javon Quinterly. I think everybody agrees with that. I think that the two-player, the shooting guard, as we call it, is going to be Jaden Shackelford. I think the small forward, the three position, is going to be John Petty. And here's where it gets a little sticky. I think the stretch four position is going to be manned by Herbert Jones. And I think the, the true center, the five player, is going to be Jordan Bruner. And Nate Oates was quoted in an article this week, or actually it was a podcast, as saying that Jordan Bruner and Alex Reese, his two centers, his two primary centers, are shooting the ball at practice better recently than anybody else on the team, including the guards. Okay, well, there's my starting five. My sixth man is true freshman Josh Primo, uh, the Canadian, uh, because he's being trained to play three positions. Uh, he already knows how to play the two guard, and somewhat the three, the small forward, but he's also being groomed to be a backup point guard for the times that Javon Quinley comes out of the game. So I think he's the sixth man. Uh, my seventh man, I had to change this recently, but my current seventh man, uh, because I've read an article where Brian Hodgson was saying how well he was shooting the ball, it's James Rojas, a junior college All-American at the four position. The power forward is the four. Uh, prior to that, I had him a little lower in the rotation. and uh, But my eighth man is another outstanding junior college transfer, uh, and that's uh, Keon Ellis. Uh, he can play the one or the two. Uh, so now, that's eight guys that could play for almost anybody, okay? But I think Oates has enough talent on this team to play 10. So my ninth player who can play the three or the stretch four is Juwan Gary, who will be a redshirt freshman. And my 10th man, and these are 10 guys that I think will play in every game this year, is Alex Reese as the backup center. Now, immediately people listening to this are going to go, oh, Gary, what, what about Frenchie? Uh, what about uh, Keon Ambrose Hilton? You're not mentioning those guys. Well, uh, those guys are true freshmen, and while they're talented, they're not Josh Primo talented. They're just not. Josh Primo's probably a one and done. I hate to say it, but I think he is. At the very worst, he'll be here two years. So my 11th man is Keon Ambrose Hilton, and that's because he's played more basketball than Frenchie Tachuco. Uh, who is my 12th man. Now, Frenchie is 6'11", but he's only about 210. Uh, he's raw. He's very inexperienced. He has never played against the type of players that have been in SEC strength and conditioning programs. That's why I got him 12. And my, uh, my 13th guy is uh, Miles, who is um, a true freshman that, that came from IMG Academy. Uh, I think it's Darius Miles. Uh, but he's my 13th guy, and I just, I'm just i just not sure that he's ready to be an every-night player in the SEC. Uh, I think it would be to Miles' advantage to actually redshirt this year and let the other 12 guys play, but I don't know that that's going to happen. That's just a theory of mine. So that's how I've got it lining up to open the season, and I realize that by January when conference play starts that Primo may be in the starting five. I realize that could happen. 
But I'm just giving you what I think it'll be to open the season. Yeah, I, I I'm all aboard your starting five right there. I'm I I think that's that's right now. Like right now, that's that's the best starting five. Um, and who, who knows who could develop into what and, and what they could produce on the court. Now, I do think I think I do think Chico is 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 a little low. Um, I mean, I, I love Alex's game. I, I think you know his size, six eleven, um, the ability to stretch the floor. I, I think that's going to be really really valuable, right? Like I think last year. Um, Alabama, I mean, and two, now they got uh, Jordan Bernier, um, too. And it's just like, I think back to a game, so many one-possession games late they could have won last year, right? It, it was Alabama needing a timely rebound. Um, I look back to the Auburn game in, in Auburn, um, the the overtime loss, and, and that game, I still th- I thought about that, and I'm just like, man, right? Like, Austin Wiley had, like, what, 20-plus rebounds in that game? And I'm thinking, okay, that's a game, right? That's a, that's a momentum changer uh, because, you know, that kind of spiraled into – uh, a couple losses after that, and so I'm just like a couple plays here and there. You know, if Alex Chiku can can give you some big time minutes, um, and the same with Brunier, I think those are I think them and Primo. I think those three guys are the biggest newcomers into this into this squad. And, and I think Primo at the end of the day, I, you know, you look at his what they posted right on Twitter from Mike Snowden, the strength conditioning coach. Um, you look at his like when he when he came into Alabama just a few months ago. I mean. The kid looked like a kid. Like he looked like a kid. Now he, he's his body's getting more defined. He's building a lot of muscle, and he looks like a starting SEC guard right now. Like that's what primo. He I agree. Yeah, I agree on primo. But but like in my top ten that I gave you, ending with Reese, who who would you have uh, Alex ahead of? Um, I, for for me, I mean, I mean, Alex has the experience, right? And I, I do think Alex last year had he. Like, no, I mean, I'm talking about Alex. I'm talking about Tachiko. Oh, 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 oh! I would probably, I would probably have him um, above Jawan Gary a little bit um, in in the rotation. I have him above Jawan Gary, maybe not higher than James Rojas, um, but definitely Gary. And um, would you have him ahead of Reese? I, I probably would too, right? They're, it, they're loving Reese right now. He's yeah, he totally redeemed himself from his unfortunate public intoxication. Oh yeah, and and that's what I was about. That's what I was about to hit on with Alex Reese. Like, if you go back and look at it, it was uh, he the uh, the Rocket City Classic against Belmont, and then after that, right when Alabama got into SEC play, <clears throat> excuse me, he had you know a really great stretch of games where he was knocking down big time threes, and that's what Alex Reese can do, right? Like, like I I, I called him a poor man's Kevin Love. That's that's why I kind of think he does, right? He rebounds. He's a great outlet passer. He can shoot the three, um, and and he can you know he can make shots. And just last year, I think it was so mental for him toward the end of the year. It was such a you know a challenge for him because it was getting in his head, right? Like I think too, um, when you live in the age of where social media is affecting you as an athlete, you kind of have to block those things out, right? And I go back to the Vanderbilt game, right? Like like Nate, I I can't remember if this was directed at Alex Reese or not, but I remember how like pissed off you know Nate Oates was in that huddle of that game, you know, a game that Alabama shouldn't have lost, but they let Saban Lee go crazy, and uh, you know I, I think too that that's, it was just a mental thing for Alex Reese, and now he's back on track, and I think you know he's going to be a guy who's going to give you big minutes. All these guys are going to give you big minutes. I really do believe that, barring an injury. And um, and I just think Chiku, I think his size, uh, in my opinion, kind of gives him a little bit of advantage at the end of the day. Uh, but no, they're gonna they're gonna roll out with Reese here to go and just see what he's got, see if he can try to pick up the momentum where he had it to go at you know last season. Um, and, and you know I, I'm I'm really excited. This is a team that 
you know, with Javon Quinterly. By the way, Kerry, I do not understand why he still did not get a waiver because now we've seen Jalen Forbes get a waiver at Tulane, who left Alabama. Raymond Hawkins get an immediate eligibility waiver out at Long Beach State. So when you leave Alabama, you can get a waiver, but when you come to Alabama, you can't get a waiver. It was completely unfair. Yeah. Uh, but if he'd gotten the waiver, I'm not sure he'd be here this year. So uh, it worked out better for Alabama in a season that was ended by COVID. And you might have lost him. And, you know, if he, if he had a great season last year, I just don't know that he'd be back. Uh, I mean, he's dying to get in the NBA. And if he has a good year this year, I don't think he'll be back next year. That's the importance of training Primo to play the point. My only thing with Tachico is uh, he's so skinny, Tyler. And I, I see some of these big guys on teams like Kentucky and Mississippi State and LSU. I fear they'll shove him around under the goal. Uh, can he play the stretch four? Probably so. He, he might be. My backup stretch four well, in my rotation was Juwan Gary. And, and I'm basing that on a statement given to me off the record, so I can't name his name, by an Alabama assistant coach who compared him to a former Alabama player, Tony Mitchell, without the mental issue. That's yeah. hot praise, Tyler. Oh, oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, Tony, super athletic. I mean, had had a lot of bounce. I mean, you know, had some fantastic. I mean, just to, I mean, and, and when people, he wasn't just a dunker. Let me put it that way. He was. I mean, he was well, way. He could shoot one time and dunk the next time and block shots and yeah. So this coach is telling me that that's the same type of player that that that, that Juwan Gary is. If that coach had not told me that, I'd have probably not had him in my top ten either. Uh, and they said before he got hurt last year. He was really practicing well and was going to be in the rotation last year. Yeah, and, and like I said, you know, this is this is this is going to be so interesting when the preseason practices get ramped up starting in October when they can they can get you know they got forty days to get about twenty five practices in. How how is Oates? You know, you know the competition for one is going to be insane in the practices, and two, just when the games actually start, I'm I'm curious just to see how he distributes the minute. I, I think this is you know this is going to be a really interesting coaching job for Nate Oates. He's got the talent, and I just want to see, you know, in his style, how he distributes the minutes because all these guys right here, right, like even though, you know, a guy like Alex Reese or a guy like John Petty, you know, weren't necessarily recruited by Nate Oates, but they can play in a system. We saw both of them have really, you know, good seasons for the most part, especially Petty. He had his best season of basketball, in my opinion, um, last season. And so uh, I think from a coaching perspective, I'm really curious to see how Oates – you know, distributes everything, and, you know, how, how you know, he manages his team. Well, it, it's a good problem to have. Uh, I, I literally think he could play 10 a game, no problem. Uh, I don't know about Darius Miles being ready, and I, I just, like I said, uh, Tatico's so thin, but that's not to say he won't get some minutes. I don't think he'll redshirt. Miles probably should redshirt, but that's just my opinion. Uh, but it, it is going to be interesting to see how he does it, and, you know, particularly if they all stay healthy. Now, if injuries start occurring like has happened in the past, then he, you know, he's got backups now. He's got quality. He, he, like I said earlier, a few minutes ago, he, Nate Oates' team this year, 2021 Alabama basketball, has the most depth of any Alabama basketball team in history, really, uh, if they all stay healthy. And, you know, basketball is one of those deals where you really want to get minutes. I mean, nobody enjoys sitting the bench in any sport, but it's the hardest in basketball. Uh, and anybody that's ever played will tell you that. But, uh, 
he's got to do some roster management. You're right. Some, some minutes management rather. And you know, at the end of the day, there's probably going to be some unhappy people that go in the portal next summer, one or two, you never know who, uh, but it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, some of us may have to watch a lot of it on TV. I don't know how they're going to do credentials or tickets, but regardless of how you watch it, it's going to be fun to watch. And, uh, I'm looking very much forward to that, Tyler. Yeah, it, it's going to be a blast. And, and I mean, like, you know, Nate Oates, and he's a guy that demands high energy. And some of these young players, right, like like these these are his guys. These are the blue-collar kind of guys. And, and the thing about the minutes, right, like if, if there's a guy not giving energy, guess what? Your butt's coming out of the game, and, and Nate's going to, you know, find someone else who's going to give that effort. That's what I know Alabama fans can appreciate about him. Um, but real quick, Gary, as we as we close the conversation again, I appreciate you coming on here. One thing I saw earlier in the summer, and it was Javon Quinterly. He tweeted out, he was like, "You know who's making some shots, right?" Like he's like, "You know, we're going to be a deadly team when this person starts making some shots," and they are. And you know, he was talking about Herbert Jones, right? Like, and I think he's kind of, I think he's one of the X factors. If Herbert Jones' offensive game, and I remember talking to Herb. <clears throat> I remember talking to her before the season last year about, you know, his skill set on the offensive end. And too bad, the elbow injury and then obviously the broken wrist. I mean, it, it was just injuries galore for him. But we saw the defense. If he's knocking down shots, this is a top 15 team in America. Absolutely true. And uh, I'm not sure if you're old enough to remember a player who played for Wimp Sanderson and then nine years for the Heat and to this day is still an assistant on the Heat of Miami, and that's Keith Askins. His three-point shot got better every year he was in Tuscaloosa. He was always one of the best defensive players on the team. But by the time he became a senior, uh, he he was, which was late 80s, he had developed a consistent three-point shot. If Herbert Jones does that, then watch out. Uh, just watch out. And uh, yeah. regarding the energy you mentioned earlier, uh, I was one of the people that was hard on Alex Reese at that Vanderbilt game for not diving for a loose ball and, and even had an assistant coach's wife <laughs> tell me that she was pregnant and she could have had that ball. But Alex was, was dealing with a really, really sore hip that he's since been uh, operated on. I think you're going to see a renewed vigor and fire in the belly for Alex Reese this year, Tyler. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. And two, Kerry, if you're looking at the potential, right, like this team literally, if you look up to down, when it's all said and done, by the time all of them graduate and leave, you could potentially have uh, four to five. Well, I'll say four. I'll, I'll put the cap at four. Four first-round picks. And that being John Petty, if he delivers this year, right, like if he gets the NBA feedback he wants and excels, that's John Petty. That's Josh Primo. That's Herbert Jones if he does what we just talked about in the offensive end. And then, two, I think Alex Chico has got the NBA potential as well. You know, if he's a two-and-done kind of guy, um, you're looking at our NBA. You're looking at NBA guys right here, right? These are the, like the Alabama fans who don't pay attention to a lot of basketball. You need to start paying attention right now. Right. Well, if he has the season he's expected to have, you could have a late first-round pick from Javon Quinley. Yeah, yeah. You could – yeah. Okay, I'll put it at five then. Potentially five first-round picks. I'm and, with you on that. Yeah, potentially five first-round picks. And then lastly, Kerry, my last question, where does – just like, you know, from the onset, you know, we're, we're, we're – I believe we're 69 days away from the start of the season. Where is that – where does Alabama finish in the SEC? Is it a top three? Is it top five? Where do you see them, uh, you know, ending the regular season at? I'd say top three. Uh, I, I don't know about winning the SEC because you always have to look first at Kentucky because they signed five stars like – 
like Nick Saban does in football to the same, you know, equivocal formula. Uh, but I think Alabama's got a legitimate shot to be top three. Uh, you mentioned top five. I think that's a worst case scenario if they stay healthy. But I think top three is, is very reasonable, uh, assuming that they get the chemistry they need and everybody gets their role and accepts their role. I think top three is, is a legitimate thing. Yeah, and I think, too, like, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, LSU, those are, those are some of the teams they're going to have to be competing for a top five spot with. And, and you know, and I, I want to mention Auburn, too. Like, I think they lost way too much. So now you've in the state, I think this year what you're going to see is – and, I mean, Bruce Pearl is still a phenomenal coach, but what you're going to see is you're kind of see the pendulum swing in Alabama's direction in terms of basketball power in the state. Totally agree. Uh, we've been waiting a while for a sweep, a uh, two-game sweep in the regular season. I feel like this could certainly be the year that happens over the Plains from Auburn. November 25th is coming, Kerry, and I, I'm really excited. And uh, and everybody can listen to you on Friday Night Lights, uh, Title 100.9, on Friday evening from 6 to 9 o'clock. And then when Alabama football season kicks off, two hours after the game, listen to Kerry Clark and Jacob Harrison on Title 100.9. I'm sure you guys are going to break down all college football, right? We're going to break it down like never before, and we're going to have regular callers and probably going to recruit you to be one of them. Well, I, I, I can't wait to do it. I know that. Well, anyway, Kerry, uh, for Kerry Clark, Tyler Martin, this has been the All Things Bama Podcast. Awesome.